You're listening to Navid Musa of The Mindset Movement. Good day, good people. My name is Navid Musa. I'm here today and always for The Mindset Movement, the podcast. Each and every week, we do our best to bring you guys value. What does that mean? That means we take our stories, our experiences, and our guests here, and we try to give you guys something that either you want to know about, or maybe you know someone who wants to know about it. And so without further ado, maybe we're going to get right into it. Once again, um, this is series number three. It's a four-part series. We've done two. Series one, we talked about custody and oversight. We talked about um, direct versus uh, LLC IRAs. And we talked about um, just the general marriage between um, next generation and um, Iris X. And then series two, we talked about regulations. Regulations, there's no way around it, guys. It is what it is. Uh, but personally, uh, if, if you didn't watch it, please watch it. John and I agreed upon the fact that regulations is good. Regulations means you've caught the attention. Regulations means we know we know I have a box that we can play in instead of having a whole bunch of uncertainties. Um, from that discussion, we got onshore, offshore. So please welcome my guest back again for third week in a row. Uh, John Danza from Erisex. How you doing, man? Thanks, David. Great having you again. Thank you. Thanks for your time. And again, you know, we talked about the regulations and you had alluded a couple of times about, you know, onshore, offshore, what we can do within these boundaries and stuff like that. So let's get into it. Let's talk about that Erisex and the onshore, offshore uh, effect. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked about in the last episode about how important it is to have regulation. We talked about the confines of the United States and the, the federal and the state level and so forth. You know, a lot of your listeners probably hear about some of these offshore exchanges where they should really give it some thought. I mean, when you're looking at the offshore, one of the one of the risks of, of interacting with them, you don't have that same level of regulation that you do in the United States. You don't have regulatory groups at the state and federal level looking after the individual investor. So, like, I'm going to take a couple of examples. Think about this. There was um, a few years ago, there was a, an exchange in Canada, I think it was called Quadriga. And the CEO was the only one that had the keys to the custody of the, the vault that held all the coins. The guy basically disappeared and people unfortunately didn't have access to their funds. And they still to this day, I think there's working with a third party to try to unlock the vault to get access to those Holy coins. Crap. So that's my point is that you, you, we, we talk about the US being behind on regulation, but sometimes you gotta take two steps back to take a step forward because you know what? You might have some growing pains because of the regulation, but when you're looking at it long-term is really the healthier way to go. So here's another example. And there was a, this was big into the news too, another exchange called BitMEX. For your users, a lot of users probably don't understand this concept, but BitMEX had what was called a perpetual future. What does that mean? That means that basically the future never had an expiration date. It was constantly rolling over, right? constantly rolling over. Well, one of the things with this perpetual future, which is going to sound crazy to your audience, is the leverage on this product was 125 to 1. Wait, what does what? that mean? That means, yeah, 100, some, some exchanges were 100 to 1, and some were actually as high as 125 to 1. So that basically means that you're going to the house, let's say you're going to a casino, just because it feels like a casino at 125 yeah, yeah, to 1. Yeah, 125 odds. to 1. And <laughs> You're gonna get it. You're gonna put a dollar on the table. They're gonna give you hundred and twenty-five dollars to to use um, and gamble with, right? Yeah. Oh my god. So one wrong mistake, you're blown out, you're right? Done. And you have to make up the losses. You sneeze, you make a mistake, boom, it's gone. 
that will never fly in the U.S. If you look at margin here in the U.S., where you know you trade those futures contracts, it's usually the collateral requirement is around 30 to 33 okay. percent. So it's like roughly three to one leverage to one. versus 125, <laughs> which is just mind-boggling. It's crazy. And unfortunately, what happened was with the a Bitmex is they were told not to solicit into the United States. And after the, you know, the regulatory bodies looked into it, they found instances where they were pitching clients in the U.S. And they actually faced sanctions and lawsuits and even, I think, some jail time on top of that. So the point I'm trying to say is, you know, we sh- as, as challenging as it is in the U.S., it's actually a good thing. Now, if we're going to talk about offshore, I think the natural progression is Think about the benefits it has to some of these countries where there's hyperinflation and you know the valuation of their own currency is declining. Even like you know we all know about El Salvador adopting mm-hmm. it as legal tender in their own country because they they were frustrated with their own currency and the you know inflation that was going on. So now you have places like El Salvador and other countries where you know they're looking at these hard currencies. Even think about it like this: there's Let's say you've got family in South America. You're making money in dollars. They're they're barely holding on in South America. Right. You could quickly move Bitcoin from point A to point B in less than a minute, and you could help support your family. And that, in like an El Salvador or other countries, is legal tender. They You literally move it to their wallet, and you don't have to worry about walking around with cash. All you have to do is, and it might have been mentioned in your, your last uh, podcast about crypto, is flash a little barcode that's associated to your account, and it's immediately uh, deducted from, from your holdings. Yeah, that's it. It's, it's so, it's, it's the speed of, and I have VAs in other countries and stuff like that. So I, I go through an app, I got to pay them and kind of go through, process, verify this, all that kind of stuff, which is fine. At least they know it's getting paid. But then they have to wait three, four days for their money, and then they got to pay this, all that kind of stuff. I'm like, why? Well, Just... think about it even this way, Naveed. Like most of your your audience has probably heard of the SWIFT system. Yes. SWIFT system is the international movement of monies across the world, right? They charge, on average, one percent of the total value of the emotional that you're going to move. They take a fee of one percent. Oh, that's that. insane. Yeah, one percent. Mm. And depending on the jurisdiction you're moving it to, it could take up to a week to move it. Well, let's think about it from this standpoint. Yeah, you know, there's some ongoing issues with XRP, but let's use XRP Ripple as an example here. Mm-hmm. Ripple, there's examples of people moving $30 million of Ripple in less than 60 seconds, less than a minute for pennies. That's a, that's a threat to our own banking system. Absolutely. That's why Absolutely. you've got lobbyists fighting the regulators and trying to put their own view and spin on, on crypto because they're threatened by it. Yeah. And I'm, I'm glad you said it because obviously, you know, you can say what you want about it, but those who are billionaires now are saying it's a joke, it's a joke, it's a joke. Well, they're saying it's a joke um, because they know that it's threatening them. It's threatening their wealth and stuff like that because they, they like being that elite. They like being the yeah. elite. No one's touching them and stuff like that. Now, when it's decentralized, it gives a, a heartbeat to everybody that, oh, wait, Absolutely. you can you can play my territory. You can come and do this. You can do this. I don't like that. So let me, I have a voice, a very powerful voice. So let me go to use it and start making this thing tank because I don't, I don't want to threatening my, my lifestyle and stuff. That's exactly what happens. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't see it. A lot of people, it's, a conspiracy, it's not conspiracy theory, not anything like that. It's legit. It's, 
when you fear something, especially something you don't understand, something that fears your comfort zone that you've lived off of some, and it's it's like, oh, whoa, whoa. I, I like being elite I mean, no longer, right? So now let, let, me, let, me, let me do some damage. Let me see what I can do. Start messing around with it and stuff. And You open up banking to the masses. That's the yeah. beauty of it. Yep, the unbanked are now get banking abilities. Yeah, that's like we touched on last time, right? The last episode, we said a dime will always be a dime, but a tenth of a Bitcoin, a tenth of Ethereum, a tenth of wherever is known, that tenth will increase you know, exponentially and stuff like that with that. So in regards to onshore and offshore stuff like that, how much, uh, how much activity are you seeing in, in offshore, in, in offshore transactions? I would say that there's um, there's a list of jurisdictions that we work with that okay. from an international standpoint, and I do see firms from Europe, Asia, and South America in approved jurisdictions trading on Arasex and taking advantage of the benefits of our pool of liquidity here in the U.S. Do you think more countries outside the U.S. are more open to crypto than within? I definitely. I think that. Um, I feel like we're a laggard at times with some of the regulation that we've been letting other companies and countries thrive. You know, it it kind of go back to think about it. Like I I touched on before, you know, we talked about the executive order that that Biden work was was planning on cryptocurrencies. Part of that executive order was including um, our own U.S. digital currency from the Fed, like creating our own Fed coin. Right. (laughs) Well, this is this is something that's coming on the heels of what China's already had in place for over a year. Yeah, yeah. They created their own coin. They created their own digital currency. And China being China said to six different organizations, including Alibaba, you're going to accept this currency as payment. And it's starting to expand. And then they, in turn, can track how the movement of money is. Right. And also think about it. The Fed loves to print money. At the end of the day, there's only going to be 21 million Bitcoin ever mined or minted. Yeah, that's right. So those who are listening, the reason, so there's a, uh, anytime you do crypto, it's, it's uh, called white paper, right? So on the white paper, it tells you, hey, by this year, and I want to say, is it 2140? I think, I think in 2140, I think it's going to be done printing for Bitcoin. But if you look at the white paper, every single one, it tells you, this is how many we're printing, you know, and then this is by the time it's going to get done. And that's the elusiveness of 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 these currencies there and stuff like that is that there's a certain limit right it's it's um i hate to put it this way but think of like a famous artist right uh once the artist passes away right their albums their music goes up everything's more expensive stuff they autographed is more expensive why because that artist can never sign that that document again the artist can never autograph that picture again so the value of that piece goes up because it can never be, oh, well, he'll be, he or she will be at a signing at the mall here. No, they won't. They passed on. So the opportunity of getting someone to autograph something is gone. Same concept. The opportunity to buy Bitcoin once it's done. Once it's done, they're all printed and it's, it's it. There's no, you can't just go, hey, we need $3 trillion because of a pandemic. Go do, no, you can't do that. It, yep. it's, it's not. And so that's, and that's the value. And I think that's where kind of people, People forget, you know, as soon as they forget, like they don't realize that it's almost like the NFT people that, well, why is NFT so much? Listen, why is the Pablo Picasso painting so much? Why is the red Limited so supply. Limited you just supply. nailed it. Exactly. Limited supply. That's why. And so to take it even a step further, if you think about this, you, you, I would say probably 25 to 30% of that coin, those coins, that 21 million, 
are probably going to be lost over time. People oh, yeah. are going to forget passwords. People are going to make mistakes. So that supply is actually less than less 21 than million, which that's increases a, the value even more. That's a good point. And think about that. You're right. Because I mean, how, and look, how many times you, you sit up, you have $5 and a $5 bill, and $1 bill on the couch and you get up, you're like, where's my $5 bill? Where's my $1 bill? Because you lost it in the couch, right? Same yeah. concept. You know, you're going to forget a password. You're going to lose something. I'm like, oh, did I do a capital R or lowercase R? I can't remember anymore. Stuff like that. And you're locked out. When you're locked out, that's it. You're done. You're, you're done. There is I mean, that no, guy who left the keys on his laptop yes. and it went to the garbage dump. He's like working out deals with people to try to find it in this dump. And he's offering a reward, a percentage of what a his crypto would be worth. That's right. Yeah. I was like, so it's look, guys, you just really got to be, you know, and I don't, not to get off tangent here, but we're just trying to tell you that the, the opportunities of Bitcoin, the opportunities of cryptocurrency are still here. They're not going anywhere anytime soon. So forget what you heard. I don't care what gets put on, in my opinion, you know, what, what executive order gets signed or anything like that. It's not going anywhere. You know, he's not going to put it, in my opinion, not going to do an executive order to, to ban it. He's going to say, look, it's here. It's here to stay. How can we make it coexist with what we have? Right. That's what's going to be stuff like that, which again, is just an opportunity of the strength that's behind it, which is why I think it just needs to be, you know, it needs to be uh, 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 endorsed or this needs to be at least, uh, listen to a little bit more than, than normal. Um, Absolutely. So is that all you have for offshore onshore or is there anything else you want to talk about? Yeah. The one thing I just want to add um, just so your audience knows is um, the fees. What, what it, one of the sections I included in here is what it would cost and how do you access the market? Yeah. So what it was, Naveed, so we support two types of accounts here. We support the IRA accounts, which is next generation trust and the members that want to come through as a self-directed IRA or an LLC. People that come aboard and, and uh, become members with that type of an account are charged 50 basis points per execution. No account opening fees, no custody fees, simple and transparent. If you wanted to come direct to the exchange, and I don't mean by self-direct with an IRA, I mean onboard directly to the exchange, similar to what if you're opening up a brokerage account at Ameritrade or E-Trade, okay. and you come to RSX and you decide to onboard with RSX. The fees are slightly different. It would be a 20 basis point charge for removing liquidity. And when you add liquidity, you post a bid or an offer on the exchange order book. And somebody comes in and hits or lifts your, your bid or your offer, I'm going to pay you back one basis point. So if you look at some of the other exchanges out yeah. there, they could be 50, 60 basis points yeah. to enter their orders. And they're not paying you to add liquidity. We're doing the complete opposite. Yeah. So again, just, just another advantage right there. So again, he had, he had talked about direct as in that, and then they're self-directed as well. If you're not sure what he's talking about, self-directed, check out episode one for self-directed IRAs and kind of go from there. So um, we're going to wrap this one up here, uh, this particular on, on, on onshore and offshore, and then we're going to close it out next week. Uh, we'll talk about mass adoption. What is it? Well, you got to tune in and listen out. We're uh, going to John's going to join us again next week. He's going to help me close out this episode, the series here, um, with this four-part series. Series one, we talked about study oversight. We talked about self-directed versus uh, uh, LLC IRAs. Uh, series number two, we talked about regulations. Series number three, which is this one right here, we talked about offshore and onshore. Now we're going to close out with mass adoption, which has a lot of subtopics in it as well. So I need you guys to listen to it. And this way you can kind of bring it home. And then again, the beauty of it, listen to it as much as you want and ask whatever you want. Um, John, don't go anywhere. If you, those who are listening each and every week, I, I close out saying the same thing. Just do right by the client. If you take care of the client, everything else will fall into place. And sometimes that's you. Sometimes you're just the client yourself. Take care of yourself. 
and everything else will fall into place. Be good to each other. Be good to yourself. Be safe out there and take care. See you guys next week.